0: Welcome back, everybody. Another InsideCarolina.com podcast. I'm Joey Powell, and this is not quite the post game. Maybe a coast-to-coast. We'll call it a coast-to-post. Uh, joining me are Sherelle McMillan and Sean Moran. This show is brought to you by Jotty T-Shirt. Appreciate it. Recording right after, for full disclosure, the UNC win at McAmish, McTavish, McDonald's Pavilion, whatever it is, seventy-nine to sixty-two. Uh, Sherelle, Sean, thank you guys for being here. First off, let's let's get to the real reason we're here. We were going to do uh, a full show, but since ESPN decides not to broadcast half of a game, we're only going to do half of a of a podcast here. Cheryl, um, how are you? I'm good. Yourself. I, I can't complain, matter. I'm, I'm much better than, uh, than ESPN's ability to clear content over their multiple <laughs> platforms of broadcast. Sean, how are you? Doing well. So the tenor of this show is going to be a lot different than the last Coast to Coast we did because I think a lot of the things that you guys thought we needed to see out of the Tar Heels actually happened in these two games this week. 72-51 uh, to 51 win against Michigan, which felt bigger than the score would indicate uh, on Wednesday night in the Smith Center. And then, as we just mentioned, a win over Georgia Tech with who had been the uh, leading scorer in the nation and the leading three-point shooter in the nation, if you're just looking at his percentage. I mean, he was hitting almost four three-pointers a game in, uh, in Michael DeVoe. Um, I guess it's Michael DeVoe. I don't know. but It's the third guy from Bell Biv. Uh, Guys, let's start there. UNC seemed to not only up their defensive presence, their energy this week, but they took a legitimate score out of the game. And I think that's largely due to Leaky Black and Anthony Harris. Sherelle, what did you see out of those two guys that minimized what Georgia Tech was able to do offensively tonight?
1: Well, uh, I didn't get to see anything until the second half. So I missed, uh, I guess, what was Georgia Tech's best stretch of the game. So I'm a little bit, uh, I guess, jaded because what I saw, it was like perfect. You know, pretty much the entire second half is tied at 31. And then from there, you know, UNT goes on this big run, but I think Anthony Harris, um, you know, we've talked about how he has a chance to be a really good defender. He moves his feet well. Um, He's got, he's very sturdy, sturdily built, I guess you would call it. He moves his feet very well. Um, and he just, even going back to high school, he's the type of player who harasses you I'm really good at that. And then Leakey is a different type of defensive player in that maybe he's not quite as aggressive as Harris is, but he has the, the length and, and the instincts and um, the hype to really be able to bother other wings. So that's an interesting combo to throw at someone like Devo because, you know, on the one hand, he's probably trying to shoot over Anthony Harris. He's trying to, um, you know, get past him because he's maybe he has a speed advantage and he has a height advantage. Uh, but, you know, uh, Harris is bodying him up and not letting him do that. And then he maybe he tries the same thing and he realizes, oh, i got leaky black on me you know i can't get by him because he's too long so i have to try to use my quickness and um even you know he still shot six for 13 from the field um but you know when you can limit somebody who averages 25 points a game to what they did I mean, you have a great chance of winning especially against a team like georgia tech who i think is just a bit offensively challenged outside of the Yeah. um so uh, you know i just think it's it's what those two guys do and you'll start to see Hubert Davis, it seems like the trend is kind of play the hot hand, kind of play matchups. We talked about that offline. And Harris was a good matchup for DeVoe, as was Black.
0: We'll get to that a little bit later. I'm glad you segued there. Uh, One of the things, and I love that you mentioned the difference in those two players, because you could see, uh, and Linky Black mentioned in his comments uh, with the Tar Heel Radio Network after the game, uh, that he could tell that uh, Michael DeVoe was getting – uh was getting a little frustrated and i think as a defender sean i'm gonna come to you with this as a defender you don't actually have to block the guy's shots or keep him from getting the ball if you can just take him away from what he's naturally used to doing it really affects his performance sean you've seen a lot of that in the past where guys will come in and just shoot the tar heels out of the gym tonight it seems like their game plan was really good about just making uh devo uncomfortable
2: yeah, definitely, definitely agree with that. And you know, I think right, right when uh, the app turned on for me was when Georgia Tech went on their fr- first half run in terms of hitting uh, numerous threes in a row. So I said, oh, how how fitting. As soon as I can, uh, you know, watch the game, Davos hitting from you know ten feet behind <laughs> the three point line. Um, three, but
0: though.
2: yeah, yeah, um, and and to your point. You don't have to block the shot or, or get the steal, but if you're able to, you know, especially the, the guards make the guards work um, and also make them work defensively as well, um, you know, they're going to get, they're going to get tired. Uh, I thought the rotations were, were, were really strong uh, in both the Michigan and Georgia tech games. Uh, you know, obviously there were still some some open shots or, or maybe some shots that both teams didn't hit, but coming off of that, UNC Asheville game and the discussion we had, I thought the rotations really helped as well with that defensive uh, with that defensive effort and making uh, making DeVoe work for for his shots.
1: And those two guys, uh, Harris and Black, combined for 42 minutes. Guess how many shots they took
0: combined? I know Leakey had a layup and Anthony had a runner in the lane at the end of the first half. That's all I got. That's two.
1: So they, they took three shots combined in 42 nice. minutes. So North Carolina doesn't need them, you know, obviously to, to score, to be effective. And so 100% of their attention was on stopping DeVoe. That's what they were in the game to do. And that's a real luxury because last year, I think, or even years past, you know, maybe Caleb Love gets that assignment and it hurts his offense a little bit. Mm-hmm. In this one, you know, you have two guys who can just say, go, go cover DeVoe. That's all I want you to do. Handle him, keep him, you know, from, from going off. If you can keep him to 15, 16 points, that's great. Um, and that was their sole responsibility really in the game. And you know, I think you can see why people were, were kind of high on UNC because they do have these pieces. And, you know, the last two or three games is starting to fit a little bit, a little bit together better.
0: Yeah. I want to pull on that thread a little more and, and go a little farther, because when I did the post game podcast on Wednesday night with Dewey Burke, one of the things we talked about was uh, and Dewey did a great job of laying this out. One of the things we talked about was can Caleb Love take the next step of letting his defense create his offense, and I think he was relatively quiet in the first half. He hit a he did hit a couple of big threes, but he wasn't as um, he wasn't as prolific with his scoring in the first half. Sean, do you think that that's actually something that? that can become a staple of Caleb's game now? Because we saw it today. We saw where he was able to kind of generate some pressure, whether on the ball or denying, you know, by stepping in the passing lanes that he got himself a couple of runouts. Uh, I feel like that's probably the the next potential big step for him. Where do you see that going? And is that something that's sustainable for a player with his athleticism?
2: Yeah, you know, I think last week we talked about, uh, you know, it was really hard for UNC getting into transition and, and they weren't forcing any turnovers. And, you know, we kind of talked about Cale Love having the potential uh, to be that guy, especially given his his frame and, and his wingspan. Uh, if he could devote, you know, really devote focus towards that effort and both the Michigan game and, and Georgia Tech, I think three steals a piece, um, you know, that that helped get him. Into into transition, where you know when he when he does have those those high flying dunks, uh, he, he's really able to energize himself um, and kind of in in turn, I think focus more more on the game. Um, so really, you know that that wingspan of his and and being able to to create those steals and those deflections uh, really helps. Um, and then. In turn, you know, one of the things was another thing we mentioned was just their fast breaks and and how it, it they, they always looked, uh, you know, like they hadn't hadn't practiced a lot in in the you know in the in the full court uh, pushing the tempo. But here you saw today, Caleb, you know, passing to Leaky for the and one, Caleb getting out. So the defense really did help help the offense
0: get some easy buckets. Sheryl, I think one of the big things we saw this past week, and Caleb was an example of that. But it's also kind of become contagious throughout the team in these two games. Is just the energy that the team is playing with. I know that uh, you had talked about how much the team had focused on defense over the last few, uh, last few days. Coming into this game or coming into this week, it looks like Hubert Davis has kind of found something. It looks like at least he's pushed the right buttons uh, early on to get these guys to respond with the energy that they need. Is that something that you think can now, since we've seen it in two games, you think it can now be less of an issue? Do you think it can now be something that doesn't have to be drilled in as often? I'm not saying they won't have a sleepwalking effort. I'm not saying they won't have a, you know, a a WTF game, because even when the best Tar Heel teams have had those. But Do you feel like the energy issue might be somewhat solved for now?
1: Yeah, I I don't want to go that far yet. Um, It seems like it. They're on the right path. But just like we shouldn't have rushed to judgment before um, when things weren't looking great. You know, I don't think we should rush to judgment now and say that the issues are necessarily fixed. You know, they have, I think, Furman next weekend in the Smith Center. I'll be curious to see how they they come out. Elon, excuse me. Elon uh... and Furman. Yeah. In UCLA. Yes. yes. So I'll be curious to see how they come out against Furman. If they're, they're energetic, it's an opponent that they're better than. There has been a tendency from this team to kind of play to the level of the competition. I think they, you know, you kind of hope they broke through that tonight because they're a better team than Georgia Tech. I don't think anybody. I, I, that's not breaking news or anything. It's not saying anything bad about, about Georgia Tech, but more I think they're uh, they are definitely a more gifted team than Georgia <laughs> Tech, and they played like it in the second half. That's the kind of what you want to see. Um, so we'll, we'll see. I, I do think that Hubert Davis should be given credit. Um, if you know if they go on a magical ride this season and, and do things that Hubert Davis hopes, you have to look back to that eight-day stretch after the Tennessee game or really after the UNC Asheville game because – they were okay in that, and they kind of melded in the second half in that game, too. Mm-hmm. But that stretch over Thanksgiving where, you know, everybody stayed in Chapel Hill. They weren't allowed to go home for Thanksgiving, and they had some two-a-day practices, and they mm-hmm. really got to know each other. Um, you know, he put it – Adam Lucas had it in a column, I think it was after the UNC Asheville game, where Hewitt Davis said – will never again coach a team that doesn't have his personality. Mm-hmm. And I would say right now he's, he's, he's what three for three um, since then. And since he hasn't that. because that energy has definitely shown. So um, to your point, they're not going to always be hundred percent in it because nobody is at work every day. It's just not, just not possible. Um, but I, 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 I'm, I'm optimistic that they're gone, but I'm not convinced that they're gone to answer your question very shortly.
0: Yeah, well, you know, since, since our listeners and uh, subscribers and uh, message board posters and fans in general are so known for being patient and not having knee-jerk reactions, I could see why you would, you would assume that we wouldn't want to uh, immediately overcorrect the way that a lot, of, a lot of folks did after that Tennessee and, and UNC Asheville performance. But I hear your tempered, uh, your tempered positivity, and I think that's probably a great, uh, a, a great way for folks to take.
1: So let me let me ask you and Sean this doesn't it seem like, again, small sample size, Tennessee seems like the outlier now. Right. That seems like not what they are. That seems like the one that was that that's the sleepwalking game that they probably shouldn't have had. And then UNC Asheville, it was okay for a half. And then the two games since they've been, you know, really into it. Do you think the Tennessee game was maybe the one thing that was the outlier and this is more what the team is going to look like?
2: Good question. I mean, I I think uh, the Tennessee game definitely lies on that, that scale. Uh, But I think there was, you know, what we talked about last week, a lot of concern uh, coming into this week with the, with the lack or with the identity or or lack thereof. Um, And I think in terms of Tennessee being an outlier, um, you know, it's also, I think one thing we saw in both games was, was really the ball movement. So kind of going, you know, going to that, uh, off, you know, kind of switching offensively, there wasn't a whole lot of joy, um, you know, after that Purdue run, uh, from, you know, going into the Tennessee game and then the UNC UNC Asheville game. And I think we've been able to see that. It started a little bit slowly offensively against Michigan, but they they had the defensive intensity there. Um, and, and we were really talking about how Brady Manick is, is the one guy that was moving the ball um, and moving it quickly. And I think you saw it a few times in in the Michigan game where you thought maybe somebody should have passed for a better shot, but I think against Georgia Tech, you know the ball was moving uh, they're taking good shots and I think with that looking more like a cohesive cohesive unit. So I think Tennessee was the outlier, but you know that was a game that hopefully was needed to potentially bring bring everybody
0: together a little bit more. So staying in that kind of vibe of, of moving the ball around. And, and keeping things moving offensively. Uh, I think that we've seen two games also where UNC is sharing the ball much better than they were earlier in the season. And going back to what we said on the last episode, trail, you were very quick to tell folks that, hey, give the chemistry a, a chance to, to develop. Give these guys some time to really develop a rapport with each other and understand each other's games in live action. I uh, just want to point to a piece from the box score today. Uh, with Caleb Love and RJ Davis playing together. Once again, today they had a, a 10 assists, four turnover game between the two of them. I think what we're starting to see too is that these guys both, and Sean, I'm coming to you now, these guys both have figured out a way to really probe from good angles and from good positions on the floor to make those good passes and keep the ball moving constantly to get better shots. And I think you're seeing the field goal percentages go up. But what is it specifically that Caleb and RJ are doing right now, not just with their ball handling and taking care of the ball, but with setting up their teammates better than I think they were in the first three to five games of the season?
2: For for RJ Davis, I think you know sometimes he can get in trouble where he gets tunnel vision almost, and it doesn't really matter what the other four are doing. He's already decided he's going to he's going to be you know taking the ball to the basket and, and shooting. Uh, we talked about his kind of low percentage at the rim uh, in terms of his finishing ability, but one I think he's been able to um, still still put pressure on the defense uh but now he's able to when he does you know turn the corner i think he he is a little more open in terms of what else is going on around him um and then you have caleb love i've been really impressed with how he's been able to get into the paint and get better you know better shots at the rim uh I, i think last year and and even in some of the games this year he still was having the tendency to kind of float uh you know go off the left foot and then kind of float away from away from contact but he's really been able to, to get into the paint. Uh, but once again, they've been able to, to just move the ball a little bit more. And it also helps when they're hitting, hitting shots. Um, you know, it reduces the need to, to force something at the end of the shot clock. But I think they're also starting to realize, you know, what their, what their teammates are capable of. Um, and I think it was really that, you know, the, the Michigan game uh, when Caleb had the, the pass to Armando uh, for the, for the dunk that was, you know, just kind of, it's it almost like was here here's a light bulb going off in terms of the chemistry and and everybody working together
0: well and to kind of stay there i saw an actual back-to-back series for the tar heels on offense in the second half today where you saw some reciprocal passing uh from rj to armando rj came in just to armando for uh for what i think was a dunk uh and the very next sequence down no it was a pick and roll i'm sorry um, uh, RJ to to Armando, and then the very next sequence down, entry pass goes to Armando, he kicks back out to RJ at the top of the key for a wide-open three, and I, I think that that also is guys recognizing each other during the course of a game. Shrell, did you expect when you saw RJ Davis as a high school player um, that he was going to be able to turn into the scorer that he is now? I know he had scoring capabilities, but I think last year there may have been more pressure on him to be a true point guard whereas to right now with he and Caleb Love both on the floor I think both of them are free to kind of be a point guard but also be scorers did you expect this out of R.J. Davis to be uh, a guy that can be this mercurial in a game and really light things up
1: Uh, I don't want to toot our own horns but yes we did (laughs) (laughs) I think Sean I think Sean did too Um, just he he's a natural scorer Uh, the only reason and I know the only reason I'm Anyway, the only reason he's not more well regarded is just because he's a little shorter than, than yeah. you know, most guards. I mean, but the, the guy has, has skills. Um, he can score pretty much anywhere. And even even this year, I've noticed he, he has taken the, the ball to the rim a few times with kind of that reckless abandon and just, you know, gone off the wrong foot and crash into somebody. But he's also learned he's that that little, you know, 10 foot floater. Um, He's used a couple of times. Um, He's learning to make better decisions. Um, But to your point, yeah, he's, he's always been a real tricky shooter. Like when we saw him, excuse me, in AU, he would hit, you know, nine, nine of 10 or 11 of 12, and then maybe he hit two of six and then he hit, you know, seven of 14 and then maybe he hit three of 12, you know, that kind of deal. But uh, yeah, he's, he's wired to score. I mean, and and the fact that he's scoring so well, isn't really a surprise. I think, Last year, um, you know, just the way that team was built, it just wasn't the best for the type of guards that they are. I think this year you're seeing the difference just in that little, that little tweak of, of having a big who can um, step out and on, on, in, in pick and pop. Which Brady Manic is an amazing pick and pop big. I mean, it's so fun to watch <laughs> him come off of those picks, and he just got. I mean, it's, it takes him half a second. It seems like to get the ball off. It looks By the so time, easy. Yeah, by the time he, you know, by the time he he pops out and Caleb gets in the ball, it's like almost in the air already. It's, it's very Jamison-esque in how quickly he can get the ball off to me um, from three. But anyway, I got off track. But yes, I, R.J. Davis is, is a gifted scorer. And, you know, one of our, like, hot takes or big predictions is that if he stays all four years, he absolutely will be one of the all-time leading scorers in Carolina history because, he's going to give you 13 points a game, you know, for four seasons if he stays that long, just because he's consistent. He's going to make a couple threes. He'll, he'll make his free throws at a high clip. Um, so I, it's not surprising to me at all uh, that he's, you know, what he's doing now, the passing has gotten better. That is a, a pleasant surprise. Um, Cause that was an area in which I think he struggled last year.
0: It's been really, really fun to see him. Uh, like, especially in the second half of this game today, where, you could almost see it as if he had a neon light above his head that says, I'm mashing these dudes out myself. Because some of the threes that he took and hit in that run during the second half where UNC essentially put the game away, they looked very confident. And some of his drive to the basket, it's like he and Caleb Love both felt like there's nobody because I guess Georgia Tech doesn't have a true rim protector like a Moses Wright. But it's like he and Caleb today, when they decided they wanted to take the ball to the rim... There was nobody that was going to stop them, and I think they knew that. Uh, last thing I want to touch on about the the games this week. Um, oh, Sean, go ahead.
2: Oh, no, I was just going to jump in re- real quick on on that. Uh, you know, when when they did go on the run, uh, you know, Georgia Tech was was giving them that opportunity, and they they took advantage of it. Which I think mm-hmm. the past two years they they haven't. And we can go to the the at the at the at Georgia Tech last year where North Carolina was in control for the majority, but you mm-hmm. felt like it should have been a lot more. They should have put it away because once Georgia tech started hitting at the end, they came back, but this time, you know, and, and once again, for both games this week of, of having such a big second half performance where you're basically taking tie games and now it's, you know, you know, it's a blowout in the final minute. So they took care of business and they took advantage of the opportunity they had to, to, you know, build that lead and, and extend it. So, I think to me that was one of the more exciting things in in both games was just them, you know, instead of letting Georgia Tech stay around for kind of a late flurry at the end, uh, they put it on ice, you know, with that run, and they kept the pressure on
0: afterwards. Yeah, definite sign of maturation. Go ahead, Jarrell.
1: Yeah, and I, I would say, too, and this isn't saying anything against anyone who might have been at UNC in the past, but I think this is where the small, short rotation Helps. Um, When you have that many timeouts, the guys can rest. And it's very easy to get lathered up and into the game. And when you have some autonomy and you know that you're not going to get yanked for a particular shot or a particular thing, um, I I think that gives a lot of confidence to all the guys who played a lot. And you saw that they weren't going to let that lead, you know, I think it got below 12, maybe right there towards the end, um, but they weren't going to let them get back into the game. I mean, Caleb. Over the last couple of years, I think Caleb has hit more big shots than people really remember. But he's becoming really good at hitting those shots that are just deflating to the other team. I think Georgia Tech had gotten it to thirteen, yeah, and he hit that was it like a twenty-three foot three yes, from the top from of the, the key. Logo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's gotten really good at that. And you know, you don't always want those shots, but in those moments, it, it it adds more. It's more. It's worth more than three points to me in those moments because you know Georgia Tech thinks they're about to get back into the game. Yeah. He hits that, and it just it's kind of finality for them. They're like, okay, well, it's not happening for us today. Let's move on. Um, so yeah, I, I think this is a game where you could see the impact of the short rotation, um, in them closing it out.
0: Those shots have a kind of a hell no nah feel to them, right? Like you think you're coming back hell. No, nah, you're not. And that's, those are usually come from the teams that have that kind of stopper that you see in baseball or, um, you know, that big, uh, pass-defending corner that you see in football that stops a third and long. Um, You you touched on the rotation a little bit there, and that's the last thing I want to hit before we get a break. There was a a noticeably short rotation in this game today. My eyes, as a non-analyst, I look at that and I see maybe this is another piece of Hubert Davis bringing the NBA to North Carolina, because what you'll see in in the league is that sometimes coaches will play a guy that either has a hot hand offensively, or they'll play guys that have matchups that favor them defensively. Specifically today, uh, you look at a total minutes played for Dawson Garcia at 13, total minutes played for Kerwin Walton at 8, and I don't think either one of those guys played in the second half. I think the second half it was just um, Manic Baycott, uh, the two guards in Love, and Davis, Leaky Black, and then also uh, they they sprinkled in some Anthony Harris here. Those are the only six guys that played the second half. Sean, I'm going to come to you. Is that is that something that is specifically an NBA tenant that, that we're seeing more of, or do you think it's just, you know, maybe those guys were sick or Hubert Davis just wasn't feeling them today. I think that might be something we see more of as the season goes on.
2: It's a, a good, 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 very good question on that one. I think, um, you know, I was surprised, you know, in the second half had to kind of do a double take when uh, you saw both Garcia and Walton kind of, you know, cheering on the made threes. And then you realize, wait, they haven't, they haven't been in this half. Um, so the short rotation, you know, especially for this game where it was a little bit seemed kind of a slower, slower pace. So they, you know, they did, they, they didn't, you know, between the timeouts and and the stoppage, you know, it didn't look like anybody was, was dying, um, versus, (laughs) you know, the Michigan game, the Michigan game, you know, they were, they were working so hard defensively where you needed the the larger, larger rotation. Um, you know, I think, For UCLA and and the rest of the ACC, Um, you know, there'll probably be games like this where there's a certain five that gets the majority of the time. But I, I still think in terms of the potential of this team um, and and I thought Dawson played pretty, pretty well against, against Michigan, um, but still trying to figure out the roles for Dawson as well as Kerwin Um, and Kerwin hasn't gotten a lot of, a lot of playing time and hasn't really been able to, to get into, you know into the flow of of these games and and showcase you know how good of a shooter he is um so i i, I really think for those two once again just to kind of keep finding opportunities for them because at, at some point you know they're they're both going to be integral pieces to the team i believe uh, but once again i think in some games you, you will see that shorten shortened rotation um so it'll be It'll be interesting to see,
0: you know, the, the ebbs and ebbs and flow of, of it through the season. And again, I also wonder, Sherelle, I'm going to ask you about this, too. I also wonder if it was just a, a, a real matchup thing because Georgia Tech doesn't have the big guy in the post. So they didn't need Bacot and Garcia, you know, down, down there for offense. Sherelle, is that something you feel like you've heard Hubert Davis maybe hint that he's trying to implement more of? Or do you think it was just something he felt and it worked tonight?
1: Yeah, I think he's going to be more of a go-by-his-gut coach. Uh, I think we've already seen that a little bit more. I think with Roy Williams, again, a, a compare it's not a comparison. Not talking about saying one person is negative. It's just different. I think with Roy Williams, he was a more regimented, you know, you're going to sub in at the 1734 mark or, or right before the TV timeout, <laughs> and yeah. you're going to sub out at, the you know, right at the 10-minute mark. And I think Hibre Davis is, has more of a, of a feel so far. And, frankly, I, you know, if you read the weekly scoop, I talking to some people, I think he just feels, you know, we, we talked about this before. He feels the pressure to win now. Um, Maybe pressure isn't the right word. He has the desire to win immediately. And I think he's going to play the players who he feels like give him the best chance to do that. And those players might be different on, on different nights. You know, it it could be a game where they're going to need to score 120 and you might see more Corbin Walton and you might see more Dawson Garcia. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think, I think it's more of a matchup thing. And, We'll figure out exactly his kind of style as the season goes on. But through these eight games, yeah, it it seems like he's more of a field guy.
0: It's fun to watch. I will say, you know, like you said, you could almost set your watch by what Roy Williams was going to do, who he was going to put in, how long they were going to play, what situations they were going to get in. Like you could really plan the game based on you could figure out where you were in the game based on who was on the court. It's actually somewhat refreshing to see that. And again, like you, I'm not knocking Roy Williams' style at all. Uh, it's kind of refreshing to see this because it makes you kind of track. Like Sean said, wow, did, did Garcia and Walton not play yet this half? I mean, it's exactly right. So it's, it's a little bit of a, a, new, a new phenomenon for fans and for us who are watching this, this new Hubert Davis era. Uh, something that's not new is Johnny T-Shirt's reliability for holiday shopping. That is not new. Uh, that has been around for, for decades in Chapel Hill. Centuries. I, yeah, I mean, you could, you want to talk about setting your watch by it? You can set your watch by Johnny T shirt having new gear. I know you've been seeing all these headlines about, um, you know, about being able to get stuff to you for Christmas and all sorts of, of shipping delays and, and all this, you know, all these issues with uh, logistics and ship. No, Johnny T shirt's got what you need. They've got a giant warehouse uh, not far from you know inside Carolina's office and Johnny T-shirt store on East Franklin Street. They've got a giant warehouse where they can get stuff to you quick. All of the gear that you want and or need. We just found out that the Tar Heels are going to the, the Duke's Mayonnaise Bowl, which I can only say that if they're not serving tomato sandwiches with Duke's Mayonnaise and Black Pepper as concessions at this game, they're missing a giant opportunity. But I digress. You just found out the Tar Heels are playing in this bowl game. You might need a new Tar Heel football coat to wear to the game because it's going to be on December 30th. It might be chilly. Who knows? All I know is that if you need such, hit up johnnytshirt.com. Inside Carolina premium subscribers know that you get that extra 10% off the top. On top of Johnny T-Shirt's already amazing prices, great shipping, go see them at their store on East Franklin or just visit them online. They will take care of you. They've been big-time supporters of Inside Carolina, our staff, and our content. We want to make sure that we're supporting them in turn. So check them out. Take a quick break. Let some national folks run some ads. Maybe you'll hear a Blue Shark ad in here too. Who knows? We'll be right back to talk a little bit of recruiting before we get out of here on the Coast to Post podcast. Stick around.
1: Subscribe to Point Point Forward the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.
0: All right, thanks for joining us. We appreciate you sticking around through the break. Um, listen, we've got a little bit of recruiting news. It's not the same type of, like, huge to-do that you would expect around uh, an offer or, uh, you know, maybe a, a new kid committing or a visit or anything like that. But it's notable because some of UNC's commitments for next year did start their high school seasons this week. Uh, Sherelle, first things first, I've seen some film on Seth Trimble, but he had two games this week. Looked dynamite in both of them. I have no idea what kind of competition he was against. How do you feel like Seth got his uh, got his season started off this week?
1: Yeah, pr- you know pretty well from <clears throat> excuse me from what we can tell. I think um, as the competition gear you know gets better, we'll be able to tell more. But uh, with Seth, man, he he looks a little bigger to me. Um, that's something I, I've asked about and. I have heard he maybe have, has grown a little bit. He looked a little more filled out. I like can tell he's been in hitting the uh, hitting the weight room since the last time we all saw him at the end of July, early August. And uh, again, with him, you're going to get someone who really can impact things on the defensive side of the ball from day one. I think that's very important for um, you know fans to remember uh, because. We don't know what next year's roster is going to look at look like, but we kind of know um, the importance that Hubert Davis is placing on defense, especially with his lead guards. Um, and Trimble is going to be someone who can come in and guard multiple positions right away. Um, so when you start talking about who's, who's going to play next year, who's going to earn minutes, I think one way for Trimble to do that immediately is through his defense. And um, he's got the build and the athleticism to be a really good
0: defender. Yeah, and from what I've seen, I would definitely encourage uh, our listeners and Inside Carolina subscribers to go check out the links, uh, the highlights of his two games. I think Ben Sherman has shared them on the Inside Carolina Premium Message Boards, but if not, hit up the YouTube machine and see if you can find them because they're, they're fun to watch, and it does give you a little bit of an idea of just what a skilled and well-rounded player he is coming in next year. And you can also see, like Cheryl said, looks like kids filled out a little bit. Sean, you were able to watch Tyler Nichols' first game uh, this past week. What did you take away from, from seeing him perform?
2: Yeah, and you know, it was it was nice watching first watch the highlights, um, and you, you never really know what you're gonna you know get when you when you watch the the full game uh, outside of the highlights. But for him, he had 33 points in the in the in team's home opener. Um, he was 14 of 19 from the field. Uh, the 33 points, uh, only three of them came in the first quarter. So you know it, it the he really got it going. And, you know, in the second quarter, early on, he was being double teamed anytime he touched the ball. Uh, there was one, one play where uh, you know, off of a deflection, he ended up with a ball just inside of half court and there was two defenders basically all the way up there guarding him. So uh, he didn't really force the issue. Then all of a sudden uh, he got it going. And I think he went um, between the second, midway through the second quarter and early early part of the fourth quarter went 11 for 12 um in terms of of shots and some of the <laughs> ones we saw in the high <laughs> some of the ones we saw in the highlights were were uh extremely difficult from the, the uh, uh the, I'm, I'm blanking on i have a few of them going through my my head right now but in terms of just the the fadeaways and the step backs um he uh he only took one three which which was a deep three he missed but you could tell, uh, you know, he's very comfortable with his his shooting stroke. Um, I think, you know, the, the some of the shots he hit will, will, will be a little tougher um, in the ACC or, or come to college level. But, you know, as we were talking about steals and deflections with Caleb, um, I, I kind of saw that from from Nickel as well, as he was able to uh, make some really good stops, um, you know, and he was guarding their the, other, the opposing team's best player at one point, uh, one-on-one, blocked the shot uh, and it led to a, a breakout dunk. Um, so he had about four or five kind of fast break opportunities that were that were created. So overall is a, a very efficient um, and impressive 33 point performance. Obviously, you know, public school, small school, Virginia is not the greatest competition, but uh, he, you know, one the things we've talked about, he plays extremely hard and he's, you know, a, a really tough, tough kid. Um, so it'll be it'll be fun to watch, you know, watch some more of his games. Uh, and then I think probably on the message boards and on the podcast of how will that translate to next year in Chapel Hill? Um, you know, will he be able to get some time early or, you know, as, as we're seeing kind of a shortened rotation? Will it will it take him a little while to, you know, to get there in terms of being an impact player for UNC?
0: Well, look, man, um 11 out of 12 against air is hard to do. And when you score half of your team's points, regardless of competition, you're you're doing okay. I appreciate that breakdown. Again, folks, if they want to see more uh, of that player analysis. Keep your eyes peeled to InsideCarolina.com because Sean usually puts out some really good uh, breakdowns of guys' individual games there. Last thing, G.G. Uh, Jackson had 36 in his season debut on Friday. Not a UNC commit, but definitely uh, one of their most prioritized targets. sure anything you want to throw in behind that?
1: Uh, he did take a visit to South Carolina uh, today, which is Sunday, so that's something of note. Now, he lives, I mean, he literally, literally lives like 10 minutes from campus, if that. Um, So he's close by, and it's an easy drive for him. I don't particularly think that means much. Um, If you do subscribe to Inside Carolina, you kind of had the latest um, that we gave last week about where the recruitment stands. Uh, So uh, Heber Davis and the staff obviously have a week off, um, and it is an open evaluation period. So I expect them to really hit the road recruiting this week. Uh, It was one of Roy Williams' favorite times of the year, December, because he just got to fly around and go to a lot of tournaments. So, uh, you know, we don't know that Hubert Davis is going to do things the same, but I would expect that they will be out um, this week to see some of these guys. And I'd be fairly surprised if they didn't get to either a practice or a game of Jackson here in this next week.
0: Well, that's a, a good little nugget. And, again, if folks want to hear more about that, obviously the Inside Carolina Premium Message Awards are where you're going to find that. I know that uh, Will Shaver did make his visit this week, uh, his first official, or yeah, his first official he's, as a senior. Is that is that how right, it
1: works? Right, yeah. it's his second official visit, but his it's his senior year official
0: visit. Right, uh, and yeah, you know, Sherrell will have any of that information up as soon as he's able to to talk to uh, to Shaver and get some some quotes about how that went. Boys, is there anything that we've forgotten that needs to get in this episode of the coast to coast slash post game slash yeah, it's just three guys hanging out on a Sunday podcast.
2: The one, the one thing I'll throw in, we talked about uh, three point shooting and volume wh- last week. And, you know, when you, when you look at Kempom, you know, usually when you, the last two years, when you've looked at UNC, it's been, you know, a dark shade of red around that, <laughs> yes uh, around that three point percentage. And, and right now it's a, a bright shade of green uh, over 43% from three and, and fourth in the country. So, you know, that, That turnaround has been pretty uh, miraculous, obviously, with a a lot of shooter, you know, improved shooters from the guards and and manic, etc. You have that uh, that talent and that's 43 percent without Kerwin, you know, getting getting going. So, um, you know, hopefully that can stay at a high clip, but it is certainly nice to nice to see after the last two
0: years. Absolutely, Cheryl. Anything you want to throw in before we uh, before we hit the road?
2: Yeah,
1: to Sean's point, well, I've got three things. So one, whoa, 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 whoa. slow down. Now. <laughs> this, is, this, this show has to be finished tonight. We can't
0: we can't take this into Tuesday. Now go ahead.
1: To to Sean's point, um, I think you have to give credit to, to Caleb Love and Caleb Love and RJ Davis for for getting in the gym and, and working harder, and then talking to Roy Williams too last year. He was like, Caleb Love and RJ are good shooters. They just haven't shot well. Um, and I think a lot of people assumed that Caleb Love wouldn't be able to get to a, a mark this competent. I think he was uh, around 33% entering the game, probably a little bit higher now. Um, and RJ Davis was above, I think he's in the forties, maybe even the fifties from three. Um, he's doing what we thought and Walton would do this far. Yeah. Um, and again, the, the person we still think is the best shooter on the team is is struggling a little bit. So it just tells you how many options this team has and Garcia is shooting right at 50% from three, I think. And Manic is up there. Um, just uh, credit to Hebert Davis too, because he looked at what the roster was and kind of fit it to to play a style that he liked. And it's happening, you know, fairly quickly offensively. I, I don't think anyone can complain uh, offensively about the change from uh, you know, kind of a Royal Williams system to the Hubert Davis system. I think that's been fairly seamless to the point that we haven't really talked about it. we just talked about how much work the defense needed. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, a couple of props there to Armando Baycott. We didn't really mention him, but he's phenomenal again. When when North Carolina runs their offense through him, it just opens everything up. and makes everything so much easier. You know, after the, the, the beginning of the second half, He probably got touches on like four of six possessions or five of seven or something like that. And after that happened, you know, Georgia tech was like, Oh, you know, we, we can't guard him. We've got to double him." And, you know, when they started doubling, that's when the ball started moving and you started seeing people get open shots and he did a great job. He had five turnovers, but he had four assists as well. He did a really good job of, I wouldn't say good job. He did a solid job of passing out sometimes when he was double teamed or or when they cut him off. Mm -hmm. Um, So Impressive job by him there. And I've talked so much that I forgot the third thing. So we will just save it for another time.
0: Well, I think both (laughs) of those are valid points. Don't feel like you left, you know, left any meat on the bone. Uh, He did kick the ball out. He was very, what seems to be a much much more mature decision-making big man. Um, And, and, you know, again, to, to Sean's point earlier about the shooting, Anytime you can shoot 60% like the Tar Heels or 59% from beyond the arc, like the Tar Heels did against Georgia Tech, going 10 for 17, you're going to win a lot of ball games. And so not a lot to complain about this week. Uh, Sherelle, you've had a stroke of genius and remember what your third thing was. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> I just want to tell people to look out. We talked to uh, Simeon Wiltshire, North Carolina's other verbal mm-hmm. commitment. He's in his class of 2023. His season starts uh in 12 days uh so not this coming friday but the wow, friday after late. that yeah it, it's pretty late um when we talked to him and i think carolina fans will enjoy what he had to say let's just put it that way
0: all right well there's a nice little tease to wrap the show on so we appreciate you throwing that up to stay tuned for next week folks <laughs> hey listen this has been a blast uh should be a much better week for tarheel fans you got a week off nothing happening until the Tar Heels host elon next saturday uh, that will be December the 12th in the Smith Center. I'm sorry, December the 11th in the Smith Center. But get ready. Should be a, should be a nice week of practice. Tar Heels will be having uh, having their finals and focusing on their schoolwork instead of playing a, a game that, you know, if you'd have paid attention to television, you may not have known happened today against Georgia Tech. But thank you all for listening. If you have not, please subscribe so that you get all this content directly sent to your mobile device or however it is you consume Inside Carolina Podcasts. Uh, We would love it if you're in such a charitable mood and you want to give us a rating and a review. Would love that rating to be five-star. Would love that review to be personal, uh, to let us know what you like about what it is we're doing. If you don't like it, certainly we want to hear that too because we don't want to put crap out into the ether for you. If you think we can improve, we want to improve. but. For Sherelle McMillan, for Sean Moran, and for John Siegley producing this for us, I'm Joey Powell. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed this kind of hybrid episode of the Coast to Coast slash Postgame Podcast. We will talk to you down the road. Take care.